Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Three of those four families were from my small group, so is it safe to say I have the most dedicated small group in the church now? I don't know. That was awesome. I loved our child dedications. And uh, it reminds me that uh, God is faithful generation after generation. He shows up in each generation, each life, his own way, his own time. And I'm, I'm grateful to all the parents here who do their very best to help their children meet the real God, not to indoctrinate our children or to um, push them in any particular direction, but just to reveal to them the God who is real. I think that's the best we can do as moms and dads. And I'm grateful to see how many families in this church fight to do that on a regular basis, and I, I'm just grateful. I, uh, I set out for my sabbatical with a couple goals, and one of them was to deeply explore and reflect on the topic of friendship, which is something that I thought I understood and was okay at and practiced, but the more I dwelt on it, the more I realized I have a lot to grow in when it comes to being a friend and to having friends. And, uh, and so I went into the sabbatical with one of my big goals was, God, show me what it truly means to be a friend. Because I remember reading when I was younger, this pivotal point in the story is of the gospel where Jesus turned to his, his disciples and said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And I remember feeling in the context of that verse like this was a big promotion, a major shift in the way he related to them, and was very curious that the word he chose was friend. That's something much better than the servant of God. So I I set out reading a lot of books, engaging a number of friends, thinking quite a bit um, about the kind of friend I am, the kind of friends I've had. And I was really encouraged and stretched and blessed through that intentional reflection. I don't know that it's made me a better friend. I hope it will. Uh, but it's helped me understand the dynamics of friendship, especially through the lens of Scripture, quite a bit better. This morning, uh, I want to give you a message on friendship. And I'm aware that two weeks ago, when I came back to church for the first time, I was pleasantly surprised to discover that Pastor Lester was preaching on friendship. And the topic for his message was the difference between covenantal versus a kind of consumeristic friendship. And that was a really good message. I don't want to repeat the things he said or to compete with anything he said. That message is worth listening to again and thinking about. This morning, I want to give a message called Forever Friends. I don't know why I get so blessed when I see... All through my Camino in in Spain, I would see little groups of old people walking together, sitting together, just talking, no hurry. And I don't know why it touched me so much. Maybe it's my life stage, but I got really blessed seeing old people hanging out together. And um, I love this picture. I love what it stands for. And I, I love this idea of friends who are truly forever. I want to read 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 5, and then I want to set things up a little and then share a couple insights from that passage that I hope will helpful, be helpful and inspiring to you. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. This is speaking of King David. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. You know, the word friend 
can mean a whole wide range of things today. Would you agree? I mean, have you ever caught yourself saying, oh, I've got a friend who does this, and you realize, well, maybe not a friend, but... And I realize today, quite often, when we refer to a friend, we're really just talking about someone I know. There's a guy I know. But the word friend has become a general statement that at least tries to communicate, I'm fond of you, I have positive feelings for, for you. I think in the age of social media, the, the meaning of that word has stretched even further. Right? And friend has now become a verb. It just means that you're connected to someone on a digital platform. And so I have over 1,900 Facebook friends. At that point, like I recently went through it this week because I was going to mention it. So I started scrolling to my friends. And for the life of me, I could not remember how some of these people had come into my life. And that doesn't mean I'm a cold, unfeeling person. I think sometimes uh, I speak at a retreat, and I'll meet this person once in my life, but there was a meaningful connection for a moment, and then we'll just say, hey, I'm going to send you a Facebook request. They send it to me. I accept it. And then I have to look up where they're from to go, oh, yeah, I think now I remember which retreat it might have been. I still consider them a friend in the modern sense, but I've been really thinking what the... Should I in some way either choose a new word or elevate what that word means to recapture some of what it meant through so much of human history? Because prior to the modern era, throughout the ancient world, friendship was often viewed as the highest, most virtuous kind of love. That's because, if you think about it, romantic or sexual love, eros, is rooted in our biology. Storge love, which is the affection of family, uh, parents to children, children to parents, that's kind of rooted in our biology too. We know this because we share this in common with all the animal kingdom. Throughout the entire animal kingdom, we, along with all the other animals, rear and raise and care for and sacrifice for the next generation. We raise our young, and the young, because they're dependent for survival, really like the parents until they don't need them anymore, right? <laughs> you know, they like really like them up to a point. And that's reciprocal, and it's rooted in nature. And certainly, arrows exist in the animal kingdom. But then we, what we don't really see in the animal kingdom is this kind of friendship love, which in the Greek is philia. That's why whenever we do see what looks like friendship between animals, we make a, a YouTube video out of it. Like, look, this, this chicken and this duck and this dog are like friends, and it's so cute. It's startling when we see animals engaging in what looks like real friendship. It's a special kind of love because it's not required for survival. It's not something built into us biologically, but it's a love we choose because our hearts open up to another person and we want that person in our life. We want to draw them in to the same depth that someone born to us, sharing blood and DNA, automatically is granted. We want that person to come in. People have talked about levels of friendship. And I think one really helpful way of thinking about this that I came across was lanes on a highway and cars that are driving right near you on that highway, okay? That first level of friends you might describe as acquaintances. These are just people you know, like the person who might cut your hair or the barista at your normal Starbucks that now knows you by first name. There's a a ramen place that I go to near our building because it's the best place to eat within a three-minute drive of our church. And now the guy knows my usual, and I I took our capital campaign consultant there for dinner, and he took their orders, and he goes, the usual? I'm like, I'm at a place where I have a usual now? I I was kind of flattered, and then I realized how much ramen I eat. (laughs) But these are people, I don't really know him well, but I know him, and so I would call those acquaintances, and there are a great many of those people. That dad on my kid's soccer team that I don't know well, but I know his first name, and we say hi, we wave The mailman, lots of people. And then there's this next level in, one lane closer. That's what I would call your community. These are people who, out of all the people in the world, maybe are like in your classes or in your company work department, your church, your block. It's a subset of people with whom you share something structurally, and so your lives intertwine quite a bit, and you rub shoulders, you cross paths a lot, and there are fewer of them, just by definition, and I would just call that the community we live in. And then there are companions. Out of even those people in our community, we gravitate towards certain people that we just spend more time with, we have a chemistry with, 
We choose to vacation with them, or when we're bored, we go, hey, you want to catch a movie? And as you, you can see that as we're getting closer and closer inward and the circles are shrinking, that there is a built-in exclusion dynamic. You see that, right? Because out of that subset, I'm choosing even a smaller subset with whom I have a special chemistry. And if you're on the outside looking in, that's, that can be a little bit hurtful not to be in someone's circle. But when you're in the circle together, it's a very enriching thing to realize I have a friend group, a circle with whom I regularly run, and it's a subset of these other broader communities I exist in. And then finally, I would say there's this other layer where it's the lane you're in, or sometimes they're in the car with you. Right? Sometimes the elders, we feel like, because we see each other a lot, and we have long, long meetings together, and we're in the fight together, and I just really love that. They're not even in the same lane. They're in my car with me. Family can be like that. Spouses, boyfriends, girlfriends can be like that. Sometimes adult siblings can be like that. Your closest inner circle, and for the purposes of this message, I'm going to focus entirely on that lane, and explore the biblical dynamics of forever friendships. I can just say that over the course of a human life, most people can consider themselves blessed and rich if we find anywhere from one to three such friends. It's possible to have more, but it's not possible to have many more. Anyone who says, I've got like 58 forever friends has deluded themselves. No one is capable of giving away that depth of themselves to 58 people. And so this is by nature the most exclusive, intimate inner circle of people in your life. They're the people who will bury you if they survive you. And they are more than allies. They're the people who will miss you truly the most when you're not here on this earth. A 2019 Cigna study Cigna, the big insurance company, found that 61% of Americans consider themselves to be lonely. It's gotten so bad that this past May, the U.S. Surgeon General formally named loneliness and isolation a public health crisis. Do you know who this woman is? Probably don't recognize her. Her name is Tracy Crouch, and in 2018, she was named the United Kingdom's Minister of Loneliness, because in the UK they discovered that loneliness was such a massive issue socially that they appointed a cabinet-level person to do something about the problem. A lot of people on Twitter said, isn't it funny that they picked one person (laughs) to handle the issue of loneliness? But still, they're doing something. They're trying. Loneliness is a big part of being alive today. So many people have thousands of connection points, but still feel deeply alone. Now, I I believe that being part of a church helps a great deal. Being a part of a church produces for you a community from which companions can be selected, and quite often your forever friends will come out of your church community because you share something that truly is eternal and deeply bonding. But not everybody who is in a church family finds their way to this kind of forever friendship. And there's a yearning, a longing in us, because we were made for this depth of friendship, there's a longing in us that hundreds of casual friendships or surface friendships cannot seem to satisfy. It's, it's um, Someone over breakfast this morning put it this way, it's like having a uh, hundred pennies or four quarters. And for many of us, Um, what we find is I have a lot of friends with air quotes, but I don't really have a friend who sticks close like a brother or sister. We yearn for that. And I believe that's something that God made us for and something that he does want for us. It's something we have to believe God can offer. David and Jonathan had such a friendship. And a lot has been written about how to be a good friend, the dynamics of friendship. I, I actually didn't get through my entire reading list. I had all these books on friendship. Uh, a few of them started to repeat themselves, but here's one thing I learned. They tell you how to be a good friend, but here's the truth. No matter how good you are, you can't guarantee that anyone will like you back. In that way, it's like falling in love a little bit. You know, like you could be the perfect, I'm the, 
I'm the dream come true for any woman who wants a man because I'm doing all these things. I'm doing all the moves. I'm generous. I'm constantly caring. And yet, she doesn't like me back. You know how much that hurts when you feel like you've done everything right, you've done all the right moves, but the person won't return what you feel. How painful that is. And I've realized that friendship isn't just about doing all the right things and then being guaranteed a reciprocation because I've found that there's an unfairness and a mystery to all of this. Why two people should connect. And even though it's not exactly the same, some of the dynamics are eerily similar between falling in love and finding a real forever friend. When we look at the nature of friendship between David and Jonathan, we can get off of her face. I'm sorry. I'm going to make two observations. One is that forever friendship is deeply spiritual. And by that, I don't mean simply religious. I mean it's spiritual. It's a soul-level dynamic, a mystery. It's something supernatural. When two free-willed human beings find that they feel the same way about one another... That is nothing short of a miracle because you can't force that to happen. And when it just happens, something powerful results. 1 Samuel 18.1, the beginning of this passage said, As soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Notice the words, was knit. David and Jonathan didn't do the knitting. It's this mystery where for some reason... David and Jonathan met each other, and right away they knew, you're going to be my brother. Something clicked that wasn't the response to actions or decisions or generosities. It was this mysterious flipping of a switch in the heart that just said, I decide that you're going to be my person. I don't know why, and I can't shake it. I can't get rid of it. There have been people over the course of my life who I just felt compelled to love, and sometimes I really wounded and offended them. Sometimes they really wounded and offended me. We've disappointed each other. We've disagreed. But I can't shake this compulsion to love this person. I don't even know. Sometimes we look at them and we're like, why are we even friends? Why can't I shake you? And it's this weird, mysterious thing that God sometimes does this strange thing where he knits people's hearts together that happened for David and Jonathan, it wasn't that they tried to repel each other, but this is not just the result of two men becoming for each other the kind of friend they hoped. It was God doing the knitting, and at the deepest level of their soul, he connected them to one another. You've got to understand that what's being described here is more than a superficial connection. It wasn't like David and Jonathan are going, oh my God, you like sushi too? I... It's not that. It's deeper. It's much deeper than we have the same preferences or tastes or like the same movies. It's more like this. That deepest part of me cries out across the great chasm to a universe saying, is there anyone else who looks at things like I do, who feels what I feel, who yearns for what I yearn for? Is Because I still feel alone and I'm surrounded by people. And something in the deepest part of our soul cries out across the chasm, and what we usually hear back is a deafening silence. And then once in a while, an echo comes back across the ravine, and you realize you've met someone who shouts their response back to you. Their soul and their depth cries back out to you, and you realize we're not just similar or like the same things. There's something deeply binding us that I can't quite explain. I don't say this to be derogatory, but I think there are a great many people who are content never to get to the depths of their own soul in this way, not even to the depths of their own mind. There's a great many people, which is why we call them the masses, and they dictate things like the top 10 on the Billboard uh, hit music list. They're the people who are content to say, I'm just going to like what I'm supposed to like, what everyone likes. I'm going to consume what everyone consumes, what I'm supposed to consume. I'm going to think how we're all supposed to think. I'm not going to wear that because no one else is wearing it. I'm going to wear this because we're supposed to wear it. And there are people who are content to basically just go, I don't want to be 
distinctive or figure out who I am. I'm just going to fit. I'm going to let the masses kind of shape who I am. And when that begins to take root in a person, one of the other things that often happens is any time an idea or a, a thing of consequence is too complicated, we reject it. I don't like doing all that heavy thinking. I just want to be casual. I don't want to stand out. I don't want to overthink it. I just want to get through life. Don't bother me with the details. And when you're a person like that, I'm sure we don't have any people like that at Harvest, but, you know, outside this church, I'm sure. But, you know, like, here's the thing. When you're like that, then it's hard for the depths of you to cry out to another and recognize it because we may not always be in touch with the depths of ourselves. Right? Sometimes we're just showing up and floating through, and that's what we can manage. I get that. But in order to find this kind of forever friend, I think one of the requirements is we also need to go down to the depths of our own soul and begin living there, begin recognizing what the deepest voice in us is crying out. How else will the other person recognize that bond? If we don't develop this depth, then what we bring to every friendship is simply our need and our loneliness. And we just say, look, I don't want to be alone. Can you just help me not be alone? And there are many people in the outside lanes who will be there for that. There will be companions. There will be acquaintances. They might even be in your community, but forever friends will ask you, who are you? What are you? What is going to bond us to one another? Do I recognize the familiar scent of that same heart in you? C.S. Lewis, in his excellent book, The Four Loves, has a chapter, an essay he writes about friendship love. And then he says, really at the heart of friendship as it begins is this feeling, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. And we're not just talking about, oh, I like this one obscure kind of anime, you do too. That's cool, all right? But I'm talking about this, and this is what Lewis is referring to. There's a peculiar bent through which thoughtful, earnest people look at the universe, experience reality, name their longings, their visions, their appetites. Serious people who have come to grips with what and who they truly are and who this God is, and they now know what their own voice sounds like. And they're crying out to God and to the world, is there anyone else who shares my peculiar bent? And when we find that person, there's this immediate bond. I was just talking with someone this morning, and we recognized that um, one of the things that does bond us is we are optimists. Not because we're dumb, but because we truly believe that God is able to do crazy things. And it's a kind of good kind of crazy that when we recognize it in another, we bond right away. We have to come to grips with who we really, really are in order to be able to recognize who these forever friends might be. And obviously for Christians, this knitting together of souls is about more than just worldview. It's about sharing the deepest part of us. And if we are Christ followers, by necessity, our relationship with Jesus Christ is going to factor centrally into how we took, look at and, and touch every other part of our lives. It isn't just that we have the same personality or wiring or temperament, but we have it because it is our shared peculiar response to this God. It's just the way we choose to practice and apply our faith. That means in the deepest forever friendships, not every conversation is religious, but every conversation is ultimately spiritual because it arises from the depths of us. This is not just my personality talking. This is me, the person, talking. And there is a difference. David and Jonathan, if you read the Old Testament narratives over the course of their relationship, experienced some really interesting dynamics together. It showed how similar they were, not just in personality and temperament, but in the way that they responded to God and wore and practiced their faith. They both held God in the highest esteem. This is the one thing that bonded them in common, is 
Every time they had a chance, they ascribed honor and credit to God for the things that happened. When they won a military victory, it wasn't because our soldiers were better. It was because God truly gave it to us. When they faced a large enemy, they said, why can't we take them on? That's crazy. They're bigger than us. But God is with us. They truly, and, and because of that, they were both marked by a legendary, almost reckless courage. Not because they were bad at math or terrible strategists, but because they were absolutely convinced that the God of Israel was stronger than anyone else. And so they tackled things that an analytical person would say is foolishness, near suicide, and they tackled them. In fact, Jonathan famously went on what every military historian would call a suicide mission. He took on a Philistine outpost by himself with his armor bearer. And here's the crazy thing. The armor bearer didn't really have to go along, but he went. And he went willingly because David and Jonathan both inspired reckless loyalty in those that they led. There was something about the strength of their conviction in God that caused others to believe things were possible too. This isn't just a casual surface-level connection or similarity. It is the depth of this person's being deeply connected, rooted, not just in similarity, but by the supernatural touch of God. I believe that we all long to find someone like this in our life. And I think some of us have different capacities. Some of us have space in our hearts for two or three such friends. C.S. Lewis had a group of, I think, six that were like that. And we call them forever friends because they're not there for a season. They finish our years on earth together with us. They're the ones who, if they survive us, will be pouring a shovel full of dirt over our grave. I long for friends like that, and I'm grateful that God has given me several. If we don't have them, what what can happen is we try to fill that void by instead of looking for four quarters, we, we fill it with 100 pennies. We insist that the larger community just change and mold to become more like me. And so we say, I want all of you to like what I like, to think the way I think, to feel what I feel, to want what I want. And that's usually not very successful because one person rarely can get others to mold around them and come towards them. And a hundred casual surface similarities doesn't touch our heart the way one deep, deep connected friendship can. It's a bit like if we go back to our highway analogy, I want to drive fast, so I move over to the right lane full of cars, and I just ride someone's tail, and I flash my brights, and I honk my horn. Let's go! What is wrong with you people? Aren't you in a hurry? And no one will go fast. It's frustrating when I alone want to do something, and I'm trying to get everyone else to be just like me. How much better to find one other maniac and drive like idiots in the left lane? I'm not advocating Reckless driving. I'm just saying, you understand that sometimes we go back to our church, our company, our friend group. I want all of you to fill this void really meant for a small handful of the deepest friendships. And I just want everyone to just kind of be like me. And it rarely works. I have not succeeded at it. But when I have found my way to forever friends, there's something really powerful that happens. If you find such a friend or two or three, hold tight to those friendships. Those are not friendships that will last as long as you're at this church or while you're in this state. They are friendships that transcend that. These are friends who even if you live a thousand miles apart, you'll go out of your way to connect with each other. They are a gift to you from a God who sees you and loves you. I understand that not everyone here has such a friend, but I want to at least explain how it starts. This is not the product of us making the right moves. It's the product of, of a God who loves and sees us and the deep yearning and the emptiness in us, and he says, I want to fill that. He will be the first to fill it. Until that happens, we will put too much pressure on our friends to fill that void. But when we have established our deep relationship with God, his delight is to give us other people who will in this physical, tangible way, remind us what it feels like to be deeply loved, held, walked with. As you hold that thought in your mind, let me give you the second and last observation here. 
And that is that forever friendship is by nature selfless. And not because it's an effort and I'm trying, but because for some mysterious reason, I can't seem to help myself with you. I don't think about what I get out of it. I just pour myself in. See, most of the relationships on those outer lanes are necessarily transactional because they're casual relationships. And so as a result, we have a tendency to keep score, right? If you do a nice thing for me, I'll give you a tip. If you drive my kid to gymnastics, I'll drive your kid to gymnastics. If I wave hello, you're going to wave hello back, right? And it's like this. There's a kind of transactional exchange, and we get disappointed because it's a contractual relationship. If they don't hold up their end, I kind of get hurt. And maybe what I say about that person is, I don't need you in my life. That's okay. Um, It was nice knowing you for a season, and we move on. And that's okay. On the outside lanes, that's just the nature of those friendships. They haven't gone very deep. But for, for some reason, with these inner lane friendships, it's different. There's an effortless selflessness that comes. When you look at Jonathan and David's story, if there was anyone in all Israel who had reason to resent and dislike David, it would have been Jonathan. Have any of you ever, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever grown up with some kid that your family knew that your parents always compared you to? There was a guy in my life. He was just perfect. It was like they ordered him from AsianKids.com, and they, they got the premium subscription. This kid was just everything that I was not. And my parents weren't cruel about it, but once in a while when trying to motivate me, they would throw his name out, and I'm like, why does this kid exist? He often got the approval and the admiration that I wish sometimes I would get. He would impress my parents. And I really wanted to impress them. I think I've impressed them a couple times now over the course of my life. But I really wanted to impress them. And for my parents, wow. They said that to about, about this kid a lot. Wow. <laughs> and with David and Jonathan, Jonathan was the king's son. David was a shepherd kid. It was hard to get lower in the kingdom in social rank than David. Not only was he a shepherd kid, he was from the smallest tribe, and he was the youngest brother. Not even a warrior's age. And yet, by some freak luck, he threw a rock from a sling and he killed a giant, and now my dad loves this kid. He's obsessed with him. He won't stop talking to, to David, about David. When he talks to me, he wants to talk to me about David. David, David, David. Right, remember? <laughs> Brady Bunch, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. If anyone had a reason to resent David, it would have been Jonathan, and legitimately so. He should have been the one given the hard missions, gaining the military victories, getting glory. He should have been the one who his dad really could envision taking over the kingdom after he died. He should have been the one about whom the prophet said, if ever there will be someone to take Saul's place, it will be Jonathan. But instead, the prophet said it would be David. Yet when we see Jonathan's reaction to David, it is nothing like you would expect. He never once showed resentment or insecurity or envy. But in fact, at that first meeting, Jonathan took off all the symbols of his royalty and he handed them over to David and said, I want to share with you the most valuable thing I have. I want you to know that I give it to you with delight in my spirit. Because when you win, I feel that I have won. And when you lose, I will feel as though I have lost. Over the course of their lives together, Jonathan celebrated every one of David's victories, and David also for Jonathan. And when Jonathan died, David was inconsolable in his grief. When either one of them had hardship, Jonathan even went against his own father to protect the life of his friend. You'll recognize forever friends because you don't feel jealousy or resentment or bitterness towards them. Even when you have every reason to, 
when there's this job you always wanted and your forever friend gets it, you don't say, what the heck? Why didn't you put in a good word for me? I should have that job. You just say, I genuinely am so happy for you. I'm so grateful that if anyone gets this blessing, it's you. And this is not about, a, a, you know, a, it's not a performance, trying to be the bigger person. It is just inexplicably feeling goodness for someone else's gain and grief over someone else's loss at a depth that feels like it's your own experience. That's what it means when it says over and over, David and Jonathan loved one another as their own soul. That's why later Jesus, I think thinking about these guys, would say, here's the gold standard of love in the kingdom. Love your neighbor the same way you love yourself. When they hurt, you hurt. When they win, you rejoice the same way that you would for yourself, the way you would want others to do for you. And over the course of our lives, there will only be a small handful of people for whom this will be consistently, for a lifetime, effortless and joyful to do. If we find such friends, we are so blessed, and we should hang on to them with all our might. Let me wrap up this way. I'll give you one final thought and some ways you can respond to this message on a practical level. This is a a picture of my parents' inner circle of friends. Maybe it's my age or life stage, but I've been thinking a lot about my parents. I, I can't seem to get them out of my mind. I've been thinking so much about my folks. So grateful for them. And uh, these people, I've known them. They're, they're not relatives, but I think of them as relatives. Some of them, the man in the blue shirt, I think went to elementary school with my father. So they've been friends for 70 plus years. They followed each other to America from Korea, went to the military medical school together. These are people who I just remember thinking when my parents were first coming to the the Chicago area, like, oh, they're close friends, but, you know, friends kind of come and go. I'd had best friends that stopped being best friends when we moved schools. These people have been like gum stuck to one another's shoes. They can't seem to shake each other. Though they all go to different churches, they've been part of the same weekly Bible study for 40-plus years. Actually, I think they're going on 50 now. And this is a picture taken of my dad's retirement party. And I remember thinking, wow, it lasted. I can't believe they're still friends. I wonder if I'm going to have forever friends like that. Now that I'm in my mid-50s, I've come to realize I do. And it is such a treasure to have people that I think legitimately I'm going to grow old with. I'm really praying that we will stay together and finish our earthly days together. We call them forever friends because they last a lifetime. And if they're forever friends built around a common bond in Jesus, then they quite literally last forever. If you have a forever friend like this, or two or three, I want to first ask you to pause and just thank God, because that is such a wonderful gift. And it's not something everyone has. If you have one like that, just pause and say say to God, thank you for that. I don't deserve it, but I'm so grateful that I have it. And then take a moment to express in some way to the other person how grateful you are that they are in your life and what they mean to you. I realize that sometimes the people closest to us only rarely hear the words that we're thinking about them all the time. Come on, you know, right? Come on, buddy. You know I love you like a brother. Once say it once in a while. It's amazing how powerful it is to hear the words your soul longs to hear. We may think we're expressing it in all kinds of ways, but sometimes just expressing it can be the most powerful thing. A letter, an in-person conversation, a phone call that just says, I want you to know how thankful I am to God that you're in my life. And I hope that we will be there with each other to the very end of this earthly journey. Maybe um, you're in a friendship that it's in one of the two outer lanes, probably more like the, the next lane over. 
These are people you see pretty often socially. You play together, you laugh together, you eat tons of dinners together. Maybe you vacation together. But something about those group of people, you like them so much, you're fond of them, but you're yearning to maybe take one of those relationships to the next level. I think kids call it leveling up, right? I mean, you, you want to go, I want to go from this to this. And I sense that there's something there. I want to ask you to just take a risk and go a bit deeper. C.S. Lewis describes the nature of all deep friendships as, by nature, an exclusive breaking apart from the pact, from the pack, saying, just you and me, kind of let's leave the group and go here for a minute. I, I have something I want to connect with you about. So take a risk. Break apart from the pack. Seek a one-on-one conversation and go somewhere deeper. Don't just share your opinions. Share yourself with that person. Display who you are. Reveal something about yourself. Ask them to do the same and see if God will knit your hearts together. Often I find people have good instincts about these things. They sense when God is up to something and often we just wait passively for it. We don't take a step out in faith and, and take a risk. I want to encourage you, if there's a friendship in your life that you think could become a forever friendship, put out feelers and take it somewhere else. Maybe you had a friendship that you thought was going to be a forever friendship, but over the course of life, due to distance or neglect, it just kind of cooled. Uh, you know, I've been thinking about some such friendships because when you're downsizing your house, you go through every earthly possession, and you think, do I need to keep this? We are giving away and throwing away so much stuff right now, okay? And I'm finding things in boxes that remind me of another life. Oh, man, this person, whatever happened with us? It was like we were always together, and then I just stopped calling. And then they just stopped calling, and it grieves me. If there's a friendship like that, that was that kind of thing. It was supposed to be a forever friendship, and it kind of went on hold. Why don't you pray, before you do anything, that maybe God would ignite their hearts with the same feeling, that they would share this desire, and then Reach out to him and start by owning the neglect or passivity that got you to where you are. I say, look, you've been calling and I just, I've been so busy and then I get embarrassing where I didn't want to call you because I was so embarrassed that I had not called you back. And it just got weird, dude. I don't want it to stay weird. I just want to tell you I'm sorry that I didn't return your calls. I'm sorry I just stopped writing. I don't know why we stopped hanging out together, but I miss you and I would love it if we could reconnect. And instead of using um, blaming language or accusatory language, which we often do when we're hurt or regretful, use invitational language. I would love it if. Would you mind? Could I invite you in? Let them know that what you want is not to nail who is to blame for where we ended up, but just say, I hope we can get back to where we were. I sense that for some of us, There are relationships like that in our lives that God is just kind of stirring up. Whatever happened to that? I'd given you that as a gift. And finally, if you have never had or you just don't currently have a forever friend, but your heart is yearning for that, I want to begin by asking you to just pause and ask God for it because he told us in his word, we don't receive because so often we don't even think to ask him. Just, God, I want to admit it, I'm so alone in the deepest part. I really wish I had a friend like this, a forever friend, someone who will grow old with me. And then I want to ask you to explore yourself because maybe part of it is God has given you a break from other people to invite you to find the depths of your own soul first so that you don't come to another person and say, I don't know who I am, but I want you to be responsible for me. I want you to fill every empty place in me. That will chase people away faster than you can imagine. They will smell that desperation and hunger on you and feel like it's all going to be giving and they're going to receive nothing back from you. In order to be a true, reciprocal, pure-level, forever friend, you have to really get in touch with who you are, what God has put in you, what you and your soul yearn to find in this world. And when you do that, quite often, the people who have that same connection and bond, God knits you to their lives.
And if you've done those things, then just take a look around. Be attentive. Because that forever friend may be right under your nose now, but just in the wrong category in your head. Not him. Do you realize that Chris, who was one of our elders so recently, he and I have known each other since he was, I think, 19 years old. Right? I was 17. We met in college, and he was my small group Bible study leader, and I was like, who is this dude? He represented an older generation at our campus. I just put it there. Like, they were like culturally different. And we were way cooler. And I was like, all right, whatever. I'll let him boss me around until I'm an upperclassman. I had no idea back then that he would end up being one of my deepest, oldest, truest friends. That I hope, Chris, you're one of the first people to speak if I go before you at my funeral. <laughs> Sometimes you don't realize Who's sitting right in front of you? Because in your head, you have it all wrong. And God has different plans. And Chris ended up being one of the most important people in my life. When Jeannie first met me, she was like, ew. (laughs) Burn on her, she married me. And maybe the forever friend God has destined for you is already in your life. When you are ready, and they are ready, it will be a God thing. Be patient. Trust God. Wait for him. Don't make it happen for yourself. Some might say that this is not the most spiritual topic for a sermon, but I think it hits the depth of where most of us live day to day, where we experience a lot of the emptiness in our spirit. I want to just encourage you, if you are in a relationship with someone, boyfriend, girlfriend, married, I want you to know that that's the first opportunity, maybe the most important for you to learn what it really means to be a forever friend. Because at least with that person, you have made some kind of promise to that extent. If ever you're going to discover what my capacity is for forever friendship, it will be in that relationship that you will discover it first. And I know that's not always an easy place for every relationship, but I want to just tell you, let that be your first place of aspiration. Don't go outside seeking another to replace that. Begin at home, and when you have that intact, take everything you've learned from there and apply it to another friendship. If that's painful, seek the help of others around you. Go into deep prayer, but begin where you've already said Forever, you and me, begin there. I want to pray for us and invite you to pray with me. I said last week that the danger of preaching to a room of 120 people is that there are 120 starting points, 120 unique stories from which everyone will hear what is said. That's why when the preacher is done talking... That may be the most important moment of every worship service where God now, who knows you better than anyone else in this room, will speak to you. And maybe some part of this moved you and inspired you. Maybe some part deeply picked a scab of pain in your life. God sees what no one else can see. And I think he has things he wants to speak to you right where your life actually is. Can I invite you in this moment to just listen for his voice? And if there's something in your heart brewing to say, would you say it to him? Ask him for something. Shout out something in your spirit. And if we had a little time like that, I will pray for us and we'll sing. Let's pray together. Lord, we acknowledge just as we sit in this quiet moment, that if we talk about this deep, hard connection, there's heartbreak in this room. There are people who have not been able to have that with the people they're supposed to have that with, and it hurts. And I pray, Holy Spirit of God, 
that before anything else, you will heal that pain. Let each person who is hurting and wounded know that you are the God who sees. And you and only you can fill that void and heal that pain deep inside of them. For those who yearn to lay hold of this kind of friendship with those closest to them already, I pray, God, above all things, that you would show your power. That this would not be a thing they have to do for themselves. But you would show your favor in their life. Open the heart of the other person and also open wide their own hearts where it's come closed. I pray, God, that you would overcome insecurity, embarrassment, regret, shame and scars over things that were said and done in the past and that out of the ashes of those things you would build a kind of strong, deep connection that is a mystery to us where you take two lives and knit them together soul to soul. I pray especially in this room that each marriage, each relationship represented here you would touch And give this kind of supernatural anointing. Where the flesh is not able, where we cannot do it, where we cannot sometimes even want to do it, do it for us. Lord, I pray for those forever friendships that have cooled. Friends, we feel like we've lost over the years along the way. That for some in this room, you would return those friends to us that there would be the joy of restoration and reunion throughout the church as friendships are rekindled. I pray for those who are already in such friendships that they would always remain built around you and that you would preserve those friendships for a lifetime. Finally, I pray for those who have never known this or it's been so long since someone has entered the deep spaces of their life. Before anyone else enters, God, enter in. Touch the deep loneliness in their heart. And then I pray that you would give them someone in this world who will become a flesh and blood reminder that they are not alone and they are loved deeply. We trust you for this. We wait patiently for you to do it. And we thank you that you're a God who wants to. We pray for real friendships, the kind that change lives, to flourish in this church. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.